big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And welcome to our sleep Q&A. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I reckon this, along with tantrums and um, one other ones, will will be our biggest ones because when we've got little people, everybody wants to know about sleep, don't they? So, I mean, the other sleep podcast we've done has definitely got a lot of mileage, so we thought we'll come back with all the answers to your questions that people sent in. So hopefully it will give you even more support and understanding about sleep but before we jump into that marion let's check in how are you what's been going on i feel really well and energized and excited and i was just sharing with you before now that this time of the year i always get these all these downloads about what i'm going to do next year and all the offerings and and i just get a lot of energy and creativity so um, i'm in that mode at the moment and also oh the sun is shining here which is always happy for me i feel happy Mm. the sun is shining that's so nice. That's mm. good. I love that you're in the excitement of what's next and what am I creating? That's awesome. Um, I'm probably the opposite. I feel like I'm like <laughs> limping to the finish line. <laughs> oh my God, it's been such a big year. Well, I've, we've just finished up our first year of Woodland Primary, my school, which, you know, just feels actually pretty monumental to build and birth something and then to get through the first founding year, which is challenging. Wow, so challenging. But absolutely amazing and um, I feel so proud of what we've done and incredible team and and lots that is going to be created next year but it's been huge I think just you know with many things that we do we hold and hold and then as we get to the end of the year it um, can kind of feel big so yeah I'm feeling a little bit weary as I get to the end of the year and I'm going to have a break and I mean I too have many magical plans for next year but my problem is making sure that I have a break because a bit like you when you get hit with inspiration you're like okay I can do this and I'm gonna do that and I'm kind of like no let's just pause I asked my sister-in-law to buy me a really cheesy novel so I can read that over the break and just do nothing and you know that's that's what I'm kind of that's where I am Mm. so it's good and I've got big changes happening we're about to move and my two older kids are moving out which feels massive um you know one of them's going to go traveling he's just finished renovating his van so he's going to go travel around and my middle child is moving out with a friend which feels big and we're moving down the coast so we can be by the beach so yeah it feels like there's massive shifts and changes in my family now it's it's really big it's a next phase of your life actually I'm really um, yeah, I'm seeing, oh, there's a few feelings going on there as we shift and change. It's really exciting and it's amazing, but, wow, there's just another letting go I'm experiencing of my big grown-up adult children. It's huge. Mm. Yeah. My food bill is going to be way less. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'm going to miss mm. them. Yeah, it's big. It's really big. Yeah, so much love yes. to you. Though. Yeah, thank you, darling. Thank you. I even remember, you know, when we used to have calls with each other, even like, I don't know, when um, Kai was like 13 or something, and I was always like, well, what's it like, you know, this next bit? But so yeah. I really yeah. appreciate how you travel that next step mm. for so many people and share share what it's like from, from that, you know, that position further down on the journey. 
it's really beautiful. I love having adult children. It's so beautiful. It still really teaches you to let go and and that that is their life and they've got to do it their way. And there's many edges that I still watch myself pop up of like, know kind of subtly going how about you do this and then I'm like stop it stop it stop it just meet them where they're at and trust their own journey and so um yeah yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot actually in the last year or two even it's still the learning continues even when your children are adults I've learned a lot about myself lots of reflection lots of watching my edges come up as they just do what they need to do for them so it's it's such a gift it's beautiful Mm. beautiful actually I took my daughter to the um, doctor today she had to go and have a session and it was the first time where she's like, oh, I think I'll go in on my own, mum. I'm like, yeah, no worries. So she went by herself. And then we were sitting in the car driving home chatting and she said, you know what I've learned this year from you, mum? And she was telling me what she'd learned from me and then I was telling her what I'd learned from her. And then I was like, oh, this is beautiful, right? This is just the you know, the next phase of sharing the insights that we've learned and what edges have come up. It was, it was really mm. beautiful. I was like, yeah, this is the magic. This is the magic. Anyway, there we are. Mm, yummy. Mm, yeah. But let's wind way back to when they're little babies and we're, we're struggling with sleep because that's what um, we're going to talk about today. Yes, let's do that. But also I'd love to put in a preface as always when we have our Q&As, which is obviously we are responding to a few words or a few sentences and um, we cannot really know all the ins and outs of your child and their background psychologically, physically all level. So obviously... You know, please always, if you're unsure about something, get get support. Go and go and see an aware parenting instructor. But we're just answering the questions, basically. So, yes, that's yeah. good. That's good to say that. And and also, as we say always, you know, please tune into what feels right for you. This is we might be giving you suggestions and ideas, but at the end of the day, you know, your people better than anyone. So it's really important to listen to what feels right for you and go at the pace that feels right for you. I know we say this in all our podcasts, but we really, really invite you to tune into what feels okay for you and your little one or your big one or however old they are to just tune into to your special relationship and dynamic. All right. Now, this is Marion's genius. Sleep is her thing. She's so good at talking about sleep. So I'm going to ask all the questions again and I'll just pop in with an odd story or two. But oh, let's start no. with <laughs> let's start with um, one of the first questions we've got to begin with is really about co-sleeping and closeness and all that kind of gorgeous stuff. So our, our first question is just really interested in your thoughts, re co-sleeping with babies. How do you set loving limits around your child staying in their own bed when you actually kind of like them coming in to sleep with you? So my four-year-old runs into our bedroom every night. Perhaps there's fear there. And whilst I don't mind this, my husband finds it hard to sleep with him there as he always ends up getting pushed out of the bed. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> I, had a, I had an experience of that with one of my little ones. Mm. All right, what would you like to start with, Marion? Well, I'd love to say in terms of co-sleeping with babies that aware parenting is a form of attachment parenting. So it really does, you know, I know often we focus in this podcast on the crying and the laughing and the play, but it is really based on um, fostering secure attachment. So um, wherever possible, giving babies as much closeness as we can is really helpful, given that we live in a culture that doesn't really support that. We don't live in a a community-based culture, so that's not always going to be easy. 
Um, but basically babies do thrive on as much closeness as we can possibly give them. And where parenting is all about finding ways to get parents' needs met as well as needs of babies and children. So it's also really important to listen to yourself. So now for some people, for whatever reason, you're not going to be comfortable with that or you're not going to want to do that. So it's really important to just find a way to get everyone's needs met as much as possible. So if you don't want to co-sleep, you know, uh, are you willing to have your baby like close to you? And uh, I can't remember all the names of them, but a thing by the bed or if they're in a, some kind of crib or a cot, can you have them, you know, close or in the same room? Basically, you know, there's like that um, progression of closeness and whatever you can do that's the most close is going to be the most helpful for them. And please be loving and gentle and compassionate with yourself. If you don't want to do that or you haven't done that, you know, we can certainly... Um, provide a lot of closeness in the daytime and on going to sleep which we'll talk about and um, we can listen to feelings that they have around that so again it's not a it's not a have to it's not it's not any of that paradigm that you have to or you should or to judge people who are not it's more about yeah getting the information and doing whatever is possible so I'd love you know, to talk more about the second yeah we'll talk about the second bit but yeah the co-sleeping I realize I ask those questions at the same time um <laughs> There was a beautiful book that I still have on my bookshelf called Three in a Bed, which was by Deborah Jackson, which really talks about um, the history of co-sleeping and how we've done it for a very long time and then when it's children started to be separated out of their parents' bedrooms and then what happened, it's a really great book. When I worked in birth, I used to encourage all my new mums to read it because um, it made a lot of sense as to why babies need to be close to us when they're little. And yet our culture has, you know, with many things as we talk about, become very disconnected from that kind of beautiful attachment in those early early years. And so that book, Three in a Bed, is a really great one if you've got a little baby and you're just curious about it because it really does talk about um, the history and the research into co-sleeping and how important it can be for babies and for parents as well. So I, that's a book that I've absolutely loved. I mean, I co-slept with all my three children up until about the age of two or so and, and with various things like, you know, with side things that were on the bed, I think even our son 21 years ago, this is way before they had co-sleepers, we created this like thing that was like a dog bed. I mean, no dog had slept in it, but it was like a little cocoon thing that he slept beside us um I love it I love how just when you're first in a parent I'm like oh yeah what safety whatever it doesn't matter this works um and then I had my kids sleep in the bed and we had a king size bed and then sometimes it was just me and the baby in the bed and sometimes my husband would be sleeping in another room and when my babies were little and and I breastfed I was so much about just how do we all get sleep how do we do it so that we all get our needs met here and I found that the way I got the most sleep is if my babies were close I would also listen um you know my third one definitely listened to their feelings but also I liked it when I had space to stretch out and so we had a spare room and my husband would often go and sleep in there so he got a good decent sleep by himself and then he would come in in the morning and it just it worked well for us that we all had space and quiet and um and just meeting you know meeting everybody's needs so when I worked in birth I often used to say well what what do what works what works does that mean that you're 
in the same room or not? Or how does it work where it's going to meet all your needs together? And so for us, um, we found our rhythm that worked really beautifully. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of co-sleeping and as I'm sure you are, Marion, and, and, you know, and breastfeeding and all that beautiful, beautiful, rich stuff. And I did that with my first two kids who often did wake a lot at night. And so what I would do is just feed them to go back to sleep all the time. And I felt like I was feeding seven or eight times a night, which, you know, perhaps when they're little, they might need, but not when they were eight, nine, 10 months of age, they didn't need to feed six or seven times a night, but they were waking. Now I know because there was often feelings and stuff that hadn't been expressed, but with my third uh, because I was doing a wet parenting with her, then she used to wake far less in the night and, and definitely didn't have those same patterns that I had with my older two. So, so yeah, I've had various experiences with it. And I can see now having done a wet parenting with a baby, just how much better we all slept and how um, listening to her feelings was so pivotal in us all sleeping well. Mm, I love that you mentioned both of those, both the, the history, which I was going to mention, I forgot. So thank you. And really looking back at it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that we started separating out babies, children from and then families. You know, that was the whole um, you know, breakdown of those collective cultures. So I think it's really important to know it's a really very short period of time that we've been doing these things. Mm. It's helpful to know. And I love hearing about your experience as well. And yeah, I'm such a big advocate of aware, aware parenting. Did you know that? <laughs> of co-sleeping and did it for a very long, long time. And mm. um, the way we always did it uh, when my kid's dad was here as well we have a massive bed and a single bed so there was just massive amount of space mm. and um, yeah it all worked really well always really mm. and sleep really easy so I'm very grateful for that yeah I, I I love that you said that I think with my third child I realized sleep was easy it didn't have to be a hard thing and with my first two I feel like I spent most of my time trying to get them to sleep and that's because when I look back now they had feelings and I just I would just walk them around in the carrier or drive them in the car or do anything almost to try and trick them to fall asleep. That's what I used to feel like. I'm trying to trick them to go to sleep because they're so tired because I actually didn't know how to listen to feelings or that that's what they needed before going to sleep. Whereas with my third, it was a completely different thing and sleep actually found became really, really easy, you know, really easy because um, because we were doing that. I love okay. I'm, I'm actually really loving our chat because I'm remembering things that I forgot which is one of mine which is I didn't ever think about sleep and I didn't really I didn't count how much sleep they had or when apart from when I was doing a little diary just to, to so that I really understood how crying mm. are connected with sleep mm. what, I, what I always had was I'm here to and my aim is to listen to as high a proportion of feelings as I can because I knew that sleep would be the easy mm. outcome of that so I just yes. didn't focus on sleep I focused on well meeting their needs and listening to their feelings and mm. sleep's the natural outcome of those two things yes and that that is such a beautiful point to bring up because that's often what we say to parents who are new to where parenting you know if your child is hitting or biting or they're really frustrated and we listen to feelings or we use play and they're able to find their way back into balance then one of the beautiful bits of evidence that we say to look out for is that they sleep better they sleep longer it's easier for them to get to sleep it's not taking an hour and a half for them at night to get to sleep because they're moving their feelings so it is i agree with you totally it's such beautiful evidence to see uh when we when we see the benefits of listening to feelings 
All right. Do you want to lean into that oh, next question? Next oh. question. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is just about the loving limits around child staying in their own bed when you like them coming into sleep. <laughs> I really relate to this. Uh, four-year-old runs into the bedroom every night. Perhaps there's fear. And whilst I don't mind this, my husband finds it hard to sleep with him there as he always ends up getting pushed out. What would you like to say to this? There's lots of different things in there. And I'd really love to come back to what, what you said. And I think what we both love to say as many times as we possibly can. But for each family, there's going to be um, a way of doing this that's going to suit your family most. And and mm-hmm. and to really invite you to each of you to really listen in to that. So not to do things just well, even because we said something or but, you know, because other your friends are doing it or your parents are telling you it's like, really, what do you want to do? You get to choose as a family and. There's a few different things in here. So, for example, the husband getting pushed out of bed. There is a thing to really notice as well. If if children are kind of agitated and antsy or they're kicking, they're kicking covers off, they're wriggling around a lot, they need to be in at one particular position all night. These are all signs and symptoms of accumulated feelings. So basically, the wonderful thing about aware parenting is the more we listen to their feelings, particularly during the day and before sleep, the more relaxed they are when they're sleeping. So they're not pulling all the covers off or wriggling around all night long or kicking us out of the bed. You know, I often see all those, there's often stories, aren't there, where you see the pictures of the, you know, the toddler taking up all the space. It's like really when when any age child is, is relaxed in their body, which, you know, the more we meet their needs and listen to the feelings, the more relaxed they are, then we can actually all often get a really nice night's sleep but often you need a much bigger bed not just a double bed you've got multiple people in there but also as as you say you know some people will prefer to um you know to have another room where you can take turns going I think I often I think what I often get concerned though is I often hear over the years people where one parent will perhaps be with one child in one bed and the other parent in another room with another child and the parents actually don't get to spend any time together and often for years and you know I really like to say to people you know if that's going on and you're not enjoying it there are really other things that you can be doing and and basically the more we can listen to feelings the more relaxed children will be and the more likely it is that everyone is going to be able to sleep together mm-hmm. and actually get a night's sleep which is of course what we want mm-hmm. um, and the other thing about the four-year-old running into the bedroom every night there could be fear there there could be feelings but also again it's a really normal natural thing for children of all ages to want to be close with us just like you know if we have a a beloved or a partner most of us like to sleep with them it's like so natural and normal to want to be close with the people that you love so um if you enjoy it and you want to do it and you want to so again i would look at what's everyone's needs here if you enjoy your four-year-old being there your husband wants to get a better night's sleep. Maybe you can get a bigger bed. Maybe you can listen to more feelings. Just again, it's finding a way to meet everyone's needs and not doing anything because someone else says that's the way to do it. I love that. So true, isn't it? It's how do we all how do we all get our needs met in there? And there is something pretty delicious about snuggles with your children at four in the morning or six in the morning or just, I, I, you know, it's been a long time since I've had babies, but probably one of my most delightful things is when you wake up in the morning and your little baby's face is just there and you just want to eat them and you're just like, oh, my God, they smell so delicious. It's just like 
it's a drug. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's so beautiful. So there's so much richness and magic. And there's also that thing too, if, if it works and it feels good and we can get our needs met, it's nothing wrong with it. Because there will be a point in time where your kids go, I ain't sleeping with you anymore. And I can assure you my adult children do not want to sleep in the same bed. But do you know what's beautiful? And I think we've shared this on other podcasts. They will still come in and snuggle with us, even as, you know, they'll come in and jump on the bed. And like if Mike and I are in bed, they'll come and lay in between us and snuggle. Like in there adults it's beautiful because it's always been a really safe our bed has been a really safe place and often it is the place where we when we need to have big conversations we'll all just go to the bed and sit on it because I don't know there's something really beautiful and safe around it so Mm. yeah it's and and it changes when the time's right sometimes so yeah all about how we get our needs met I love that let's talk a little bit more about transitioning our little ones um from co-sleeping so this question is i'd love to know your thoughts on how and when to move from co-sleeping to the child moving into their own bed my son is five and we've been co-sleeping since birth i get caught between letting the process be completely child-led and possibly aiming towards a bit more separation he has done the odd evening in his own bed then come back with me later in the night then he wants to carry on co-sleeping i wonder if i need to set a limit and let him cry or least or let him carry on co-sleeping he sometimes also wants to be in my bed but have no contact with me I wonder what that is. So again, it's always aware parenting, we're always looking at needs and feelings and the needs of everybody. So again, it's like um, my invitation for for this uh, mama and everyone listening is is like really to listen. What do you really want? Like if you're enjoying co-sleeping and your child is, then I would support you to do that for as long as you're both enjoying it. And, you know, again, our culture has so many, there's so much judgment and fear around co-sleeping. What will happen if you do that? Um, but if either if you have had enough and you're really not enjoying it or you just have a sense that um, you know they actually really would like to be sleeping in their own room but it's feelings that are preventing them from doing that of course we can listen to those feelings we can do lots of attachment play before sleep we can offer loving limits Um, but again if we if we get rid of all the judgment that it's a bad thing or we get rid of judgment that children should be in their own bed by a certain age and actually just listen to what everybody wants and what's really going on I would often say also here that um, he sometimes wants to be in my bed but have no contact with me I would probably say there's some feelings there if if, you know they're kind of pushing away from closeness but kind of wanting to be a bit close there's often some feelings bubbling up that that our closeness is helping them feel so that would be probably playing doing a little bit of attachment play or playing with that you know what's going on there for him has he got some feelings but again just like really listening in to what everybody wants and what's really going on Mm. I found that when we um with my youngest two when we stopped co-sleeping um that they were sharing a room together my two girls and then went well we want to sleep in the same bed so we kind of set up a whole big bed thing for them mm-hmm. and they used to explain it like this they used to like we're little and the nighttime sometimes scary and how come adults who don't feel scared of things get to sleep with someone and we don't and I'd be like it makes so much sense and and they actually then co-slept with each other you know and so they loved sharing the same a big bed together and they slept together and it was it was kind of beautiful transition I know that wouldn't work with all siblings but um my girls did in that way until then again they grew bigger and they didn't want to but even now at 18 and um nearly 14 they still love to they've got you know double beds and stuff they still love to go come and have a sleep over in my bed <laughs> they like to sleep together which is pretty cute so yeah I I really love what you're saying there Marion about again if it works it feels good there's nothing wrong with that but 
perhaps it is, you know, always we talk about listening to feelings and there might be some stuff in there that might help them. I also find too, sometimes it's about being very clear around what we want. So as a parent, if part of us is like, you know what, I actually don't really want to co-sleep anymore and I really like my child to sleep in their own bed. But if we're really wishy-washy around our energy with it, then the child's going to pick up on that. And so we're kind of giving them a lot of mixed messages. And so often the transition can be really tricky. Whereas if we're like, you know what, this is what we're going to do from now on. And, you know, I'll lay with you when you go to sleep and you can call out for me and I'll come and get you if you need or what, whatever, how it's going to work. But you're actually holding that beautiful loving limit and listening to their feelings around it and you're clear with it, then it actually will often work a lot easier and a lot smoother. But when we're really kind of one foot in and one foot out, our children will often feel that and then it's often very blurry and find that it doesn't work so well because our kids are like, are we or are we not? And how are you feeling about this and not? And it can feel a bit confusing. So so sometimes it's it's not as clear. And I think that's a really important thing to be mindful of. Such a profound impact, isn't it? If we're again the central thing of coming back to what, yeah, what do we really want and what mm. do we really not want and being really authentic about that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Okay. Three-year-old has just gone into a bed. He's doing good with it. I'm trying to allow enough connection time with him prior to sleep, but wondering if this is one of those big transitions and ways to make sure he's well supported. Mm, lovely. And I really want to celebrate this mama, all the connection time. And yeah, it's a really big transition. And I guess just all the things that we've already said and just plenty of connection. So I'd be saying plenty of connection, particularly before sleep. And so that, 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 uh, you know, that internal sense of connection is there uh, once they go to sleep and doing any kind of play around it. So there might be like role play, especially a three-year-old might be playing role play around, you know, if there's a kind of doll's house or something like and seeing the characters, there might be a you know mum and a, whoever's in the family and the little boy and just to see how, you know, whether he wants to play games around it. Laughter, crying, just all the usual web parenting things, closeness, laughter, crying and it is a big thing and and I think also really coming back to what you're saying is really supporting them as well if they whenever they want to come back that they know that they have that they can come back and and have closeness whenever they need it as well I think Mm. it's really important rather than you're in your own room now so you can never you know that's Mm -hmm. it never come back again Yes, that's it. Yeah. And it often is just closeness. Like sometimes when we were doing these transitions with our kids and if they wanted us in the night, we'd go into their bed. And so we would snuggle in there with them, you know, so that they were still getting their closeness and, you know, and if it, if it didn't feel like it was working with them coming into our bed. So it, and sometimes we were in their room. Sometimes it was, it, you know, we just kind of rolled with whatever felt right within it but it really was it's that closeness at night that sometimes little ones need which makes sense right totally makes sense makes um we want to add you know also after big times it can be it's really mm, cool. children will want to come back in and either or you know or us to go to them or to come back into the family bed i remember um, my daughter when one of our bunnies died and she was 11 and she she wanted to come back and came back for a couple of weeks and, and just because you know, there was a lot of crying and there was a lot of feelings coming up around mm. not only that but you know past hurts mm. so I think it's really important for children to know that you know whatever age they are that we will support them in having their closeness needs met and if there's been stress or trauma mm. that those attachment needs come up to the fore again whatever and same mm. for us as adults we're the same so. mm. Yeah. Oh, look, actually, I 
I 100% agree. Actually, living through COVID in the last two years, um, my teenage daughters have had times where they haven't been great. And I've gone, Charlotte, do you want me to come and sleep with you? And they've said yes, you know, and so, and they're teenagers, you know, and they, they needed that closeness and safety and security at a time where it felt very scary and unknown. So, yeah, it's, it still can go on for a while, can't it? Mm. Same for us as adults, isn't it? Mm. Like when we're going through a lot, we want, we want to have someone yeah. there. It's so normal yes. and natural. Yes. Me, like, and you even think about it when a child's sick or when they're teething, they're, they're more mm. clingy. That attachment, it, you know, our system just knows when we need more closeness. It's so wise. We are so wise. So clever, isn't it? So clever. Okay. So does aware parenting always encourage us to lay with our kids while they are going to sleep? My son wants to lay with him, wants me to lay with him, but it can take hours for him to fall asleep. So there's a few questions like this that are the same. There's another one about my five-year-old putting him to bed, just talking, 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 another question, another game, try to set a loving limit, takes a long time, cannot fall asleep. You know, what, what can we be doing? So let's talk about those three beautiful things for sleep, Marion. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, I love, I came up with a few years ago, this like three things needed for sound sleep, which comes from Alita's work and aware parenting. It's just like I suddenly realized, oh, it's helpful to have that list of three. So the first thing is tiredness. You need to feel tired to be able to go to sleep. And this is the same for babies, children and adults. Second thing is we need to feel connected. And the third thing is we need to feel relaxed. So for babies and children, the connection means, well, babies will need connection whilst they're going to sleep. Children, what happens is that over time, they gradually internalize that sense of connection. So over time, that's why. Um, if we often that consistent connection when they're going to sleep that they internalize it and they have that sense of being connected especially if we've had closeness you know at, in the night so that's the whole process again that internalizing of secure attachment however if they're tired and we're lying we're, we've got closeness we're lying with them we're close with them those two things are happening and they're taking ages to go to sleep, it tells us that that third thing isn't in place, which is the relaxation. And again, because as a culture, we don't trust children and our natural relaxation mechanisms, mechanisms, we will often do things to try to get babies and children to relax. You know, we'll, when they're little, we might, uh, you know, rock them or sing to them or do all these things, then, which is all very well. But if you're doing those things, Sometimes those things actually get in the way and often they actually do get in the way of a child's natural relaxation processes. So I often say um, children don't fight sleep. We, it's often us who are fighting their natural relaxation processes. So basically, if your child's tired, if you're close with them and they're taking an hour and a half to sleep, it means generally it will mean that they've got feelings to express. And so the most helpful way then is not to try and get them to calm down, but actually to work with those processes, which are generally either laughter and play or crying and raging. And they will be often inviting us to do those things through the evening. Um, interesting, that whole thing about the witching hour, which I think is interesting, an interesting term. So they might be getting rambunctious. And instead of going, you know, calm down, calm down, it's bedtime, we move in and we be rambunctious with them. We support them in releasing the feelings through play. If they are starting to cry every single thing, you know, but the, 
the bowl isn't right or, um, you know, no, I want another thing or just, you know, another glass of water, or another story or no, but I really need, actually, I've got these pajamas, but I need those ones. Those are the feelings bubbling up. That's when we can move in with a loving limit, which we've talked about in many episodes. I'm really here that you'd like another story, sweetheart, and I'm not willing to read you anymore. And I'm right here and I'm listening. And they get to have a big cry release the stress hormones from their bodies, feel relaxed, release the tension, and then they can go to sleep. So the other thing is um, in that last uh, one about the talking and talking. So often at those times, they'll be using control patterns, which are uh, ways to suppress feelings or ways to mildly dissociate. So if they're constantly sucking their thumb or talking, talking, or you know, desperately trying to do anything to distract themselves from their feelings, uh, the most helpful thing is for us to move in and actually support the feelings to happen. It's not helpful for us to be lying with them whilst they're kicking and wiggling and say, kind of calm down, calm. that is not gonna help because those feelings still sit there in their bodies. They're not, they're not, they're not doing it deliberately. They wanna feel calm and relaxed. They wanna be able to go to sleep. You know, when you're tired, it's really normal and natural to wanna to go to sleep. So they're not fighting sleep. They're just trying to get those feelings out. And we will so often calm them down which actually makes it harder and harder for them Mm. to express those feelings I love so much this this three I know you love three things (laughs) this model of three around sleep is so it's so powerful because it applies to us as adults exactly like when we when we need to go to sleep as adults we need to feel tired and we need to feel safe I often explain it to people like if your front and back door in your house was wide open and all the windows, you know, and you were going to bed, would you feel safe going to sleep? You probably wouldn't because you're like, someone might come into my house, right? So you're going to be on high alert. Mm -hmm. So that's the safety piece for us. And then the third bit about having our bodies feel relaxed. And we all know what that's like as an adult, when we're stressed, when we're worrying about things, we get into bed and we toss and we turn and we can't get comfortable and we can't go to sleep. And then we go on our phones and then, you know, and it's not conducive to sleep. Or what we try and do is we try and drink half a bottle of wine before we go to bed at night so that we can <laughs> knock ourselves out to go to sleep because there's a whole lot of stuff going on. So it's a really beautiful thing to, to think about it for us as an adult and then think about our babies or think about our toddlers or our school-age kids that a lot of the same stuff is going on. I found particularly with, with my youngest that she really needed to have a cry up until about the age of 10, you know, when we would go to sleep at night, um, we'd get into bed, we'd make sure we've done play, we'd, we'd moved our bodies and um, then when she'd get into bed, sometimes she'd just go, I just need to cry so I can have a, go to sleep and I'd be like, okay, baby, and sometimes she'd just have a cry over nothing or sometimes it would be she was asking for a loving limit to push up against which was I just need to do five more of these and I'd be like we're not doing five more now sweetie and you know and then the tears would come and and usually she would fall asleep within minutes and I think that's a bit of a a beautiful key to know what's going on if your child's taking half an hour 45 minutes an hour then odds are there are feelings there that need to move and so sometimes that might be like right let's jump up and move our bodies let's shake it let's wrestle let's do something or but often I have found it really is about the tears needing to be released I love what you said as well about number two that the safety thing I often think about it in terms of feeling connected it's such a basic um, you know really ancient system isn't it for a baby or a child they would have needed to be close in the in the community in the family you know what do they call I I don't think tribe is a PC word anymore but you know in the in the um, community if they were on their own that would not be safe 
and so everything as you say on their nervous system would be on high alert that that is that's it's important not to go to sleep if we're alone and that is so basic and hardwired into us and so as babies and children it's really important that's why that sense of being connected is so important and if they don't feel connected they will then do things they will use control patterns to repress those feelings of fear or loneliness or whatever it is so that's often why you know we you know we do get to sleep even if we're on our own but often we'll need to you know suck a thumb or a dummy or clutch onto a soft toy or a blanket I know I had you know for me little incubator baby me I had a uh, a soft toy bunny that I clutched onto every night for many many years to you know to suppress those feelings that will show up at bedtime Mm. also it's really normal for you know big feelings to show up at bedtime that's the beauty of our of our amazing natural wisdom to express the feelings of the day or express any feelings around separation because mm. going mm. to sleep is a bit like separating isn't it we're going to a whole different realm of consciousness it's mm. Mm. totally totally well this kind of need, leads on to the next question which is tips for encouraging a seven-year-old to go to sleep by himself currently needs mom or dad to cuddle stroke or hold hands to get to sleep so number one, again, I'm hoping that's already helped to see that there's not, you know, it's it's not about any age that they have to go to sleep by themselves. And so, again, we're looking at needs and feelings, so needs for closeness. However, if if it's uh, stroking or, or that you're there, a child is maybe picking on your hair, I know your hair, your skin or twirling your hair or doing something repetitive, that usually means that there are feelings bubbling up. So you know closeness yes but if we're needing to do extra things that usually means that there's feelings that they know the the phone's ringing um so again if you're wanting to support a child to be able to sleep move in with closeness but do some other things see do they are they inviting play are they are they offering ways for us to offer them loving limits are they feeling antsy and agitated and we're trying to distract them from those feelings it's always going to be an opportunity in the evening that they're going hey there's you know the feelings are right close to the surface and here they are now do you know here's the thing I think about I was sharing it with a mentee the other day um and this would be great if you're on the video so it's like a there's like a line which is like um I don't know, like our our body, that's the line. And then the feelings are like this wave. And usually there's the line there and the wave underneath it. And uh, when we are in the evening, that line goes way down. We're just way less able to suppress feelings. So the feelings just will naturally bubble out over the top. And basically we, when we work with that, it just makes everything else easier because if they express those feelings, they're not going to be, you know, needing you to do things, you know, please stroke my hand this way in this way, or please lie next to me in this, only in this way though, or, you know, please read me 3.75 books. Uh, you know, all that tension and tightness usually means their feelings there to, um, to be released. Mm, I love that. And I love that. So the differentiation between, is, is you're saying, that control pattern of I need it to be like this to be okay and the closeness, you know. So my daughter loved just gently stroking her back. and But I don't have to do it for three minutes, but it was something that was beautiful. It was close and beautiful, but it wasn't a, there wasn't a charge around it. It didn't matter if it didn't happen. You know, there's, there's those things that I think we can then lean into with our kids when there's this urgency around it or it has to be a certain way that that might show us ah that's something that's going on there that is stopping those feelings coming so it's really great to be super curious isn't it Mm -hmm. and I love that that's a really helpful thing in general isn't it Lau that 
anytime a child or actually an adult as well it needs to be really in a particular way as often or there's an agitation or no but I really need it now and it needs to be this way and that's often a sign that's actually not about the thing at all it's the mm. thing that is helping them to suppress feelings mm. yes beautiful beautiful all right this is a great question because I think this will be really helpful my two and a half year old son's sleep I guess I'd love a bit of an outline of what a bedtime routine looks like from an aware parenting perspective I really struggled to get my two and a half year old relaxed and ready for sleeping. So some strategies around that. Well, it comes back to those three things again. Mm. And it comes back to what we said at the beginning is like really doing it the way you want to do it as a family. Mm. Again, I think in this, in this disconnected domination culture, there's so many rules out there about the way you have to do it and you have mm. to do dinner and you have to have a bath, then you have to read stories. And then and to me, it's like, it's really trusting each family is going to have ways that is really works for them that flows with your family with your you know what you do in the evening um, but generally basically closeness and either some play or some crying is going to be helpful um, mm. for, for most small children mm. I, I want to add like you know and again I love that Marion that it's it's dependent on each family but if to really give an idea perhaps so I as a mum I'm a big fan of having baths. <laughs> so every day when my kids were little at five o'clock, I would get in the bath and sometimes one kid would get in, sometimes three, it didn't matter. Like I would always just have a bath. It was like my kind of like, ah, oh, okay, now I'm moving into this next phase. And so usually the youngest child would get in the bath with me. Um, and then sometimes the others would get in and then, and then we'd have dinner. I used to make dinner at breakfast time when I was a mom of three kids, because I was like, I don't want to have to hustle. So I used to make dinner early uh and then we would have dinner and then after dinner we would usually have some rumble time so we'd pillow fight on the bed we'd do something and again with three kids they had different needs the older one didn't necessarily have to do it the younger ones probably did so we would have that play that laughter that connection and often I wouldn't need to set a limit because some tears would happen just because because you know my sister hit you know hit me with a pillow the wrong way or something would just happen where the feelings would come so I didn't really have to work hard for it and and so often there would be tears after we'd done some beautiful attachment play and then we'd go into bed and maybe we'd just read one story and then they would go to sleep and so it wasn't a big long drawn out thing but I was always looking for exactly what you said the do we need to discharge something from our body so do we need to play or, or you know to have that connection or to move stuff and then always I just would look for the tears or that space to have those tears come out so then, then they could go to sleep and then they often didn't take long to go to sleep at all now that looked different sometimes when I had three kids that I had to put to bed at different times <laughs> so some nights I was listening to everyone's feelings at different times they were nights that were hard sometimes. So I was like, Oof, that's, that's tricky. Um, but often as my, my two younger ones got older, they would go to sleep at the same time, even though there was a few age difference and we'd rumble together. We'd sometimes listen to each other's feelings and sometimes talk, sometimes laugh. And then I would just lay in between them and they would fall asleep within a few minutes and, and then they would go to sleep. So that that's how we did it. But I loved what you said. It's going to look different in every house and you've got to find what, roles for you what feels good for you but if you can bring in those three points that you talk about then that's that's what's going to often make it feel a lot easier to do yeah I love that's so beautiful I, I would love to offer a couple other things number one is really helpful to think often what people say but if I play with my kids and then mm. they just want to play for hours and hours and hours so it's really helpful I find to remember that if if they're playing and playing and actually you don't have any aliveness to play anymore and they're definitely tired 
and they're clearly connected because the plays help them that you can offer a loving limit and say you know I'm going to set a timer for three more minutes and when the timer goes off I'm not willing to play anymore and, and I'd like us not like to go to bed then and then they might have a big cry often they might get pinchy or bitey when they're playing and then you can move in with a loving limit there um and the other thing I wanted to say as well, I think often people have like routines and often it is like reading different to what you're talking about. It's like, you know, let's read before we go to sleep. And often this, that thing then becomes a way to suppress feelings. Mm. I don't know about you, but you know, many adults, uh, you know, need to read before they go to sleep because it's a control pattern. So mm. it's really, yeah, just to really notice what are you doing that's suppressing feelings and what are you doing that's actually supporting that their natural rhythm their natural process so that they I often think of it a bit like the Taoist yin and yang symbol which is if we try and can't if we try to make them calm then any <laughs> unexpressed feelings are going to bubble up and they're going to wake up 37 times whereas if we work naturally with them and go with their energy so if they are getting giggly and laughy rambunctious joining in if they are crying over something listening to those feelings and then they naturally move into calmness and it's the it's how we're designed to be so we're just working with them and following their lead and trusting them I love that you said that if we're trying to make them calm <laughs> it's probably not going to work <laughs> and they're just going to wake up I love that that's such a beautiful beautiful point to me I just want to say that we do love reading it's not about yes, reading books is not a control reading. pattern yeah. uh, it just is I, I really wanted to differentiate with that point too you know yeah. it's what we're doing to numb which is really that that what you're saying there if we're trying to make them calm or like I said right in the beginning lull them into trick them to going to sleep <laughs> that's what I felt like I had to do uh then then we're kind of missing the point and then of course they're going to wake up a few hours later because you know those feelings are still there you know and so that's where we get a lot of waking through the night don't we with little ones okay so um okay this mama i'm going through the ups and downs of newborn sleep again with my second baby and i'm finding myself getting angry and frustrated at my babies when they have big cries before naps or they wake after a short sleep I know I'm holding unrealistic expectations of my baby's sleep at this age, and I hate this feeling of disconnection, but I'm having trouble breaking out of it. Any advice from moving on from anger, resentment, and frustration and being at peace with meeting my baby where they're at? Well, I'm sure all our listeners are going to know what we're going to say here, which is always, you know, if you're feeling angry or resentful or frustrated, it's so important to have an empathy buddy or a listening partner, or a wear parenting instructor. So you get to express those feelings. We cannot just go, oh, I'm not going to feel those. Like, do you need to express them to a loving listener who's able to just hear you and welcome those feelings and let you know that's so normal and natural to feel those feelings. Um, and basically, then the more we're able to do that, to really understand that the reframe that them having big cries before naps is exactly what we're talking about is that amazing natural they still got that um, processing uh, in intact in them that they're doing exactly what they need to do to feel relaxed enough to be able to sleep and they're probably healing from their birth experience and you know it's so profound it's like the the foundation of their psyche being put into place here um, and waking after short sleep generally will often mean that they you know they didn't quite do enough crying um so basically the more we're able to listen the the you know the more easy things are going to be afterwards so um basically those two things what do you think Lil? anything else to yeah add? i just i just feel for that mama i know how big that can feel when you're tired and exhausted or you're you know you're juggling 
two children now and you just want your baby to go to sleep and, you know, and, and that, you know, I, I almost feel, I can hear and feel the depletion in the mama because I'm like, oh, where, what do you need, you know, to give you more capacity to be able to listen and to absolutely, as you said, Marion, let out those frustrations and feelings that you've got sitting there. And, I, you know, we come back to this a lot in our podcast is that we're not meant to be raising our babies and kids on our own, in our own little houses. We are meant to be in community. We are meant to be having others there support us. And, you know, it is, it can be really tough, really, really tough when we're doing it on our own. So I just send a little love and compassion to that mama. I feel you. I feel you. Okay, let's move on to attachment play with some bedtimes. Uh, This question is, I'm interested in recommendations for sleep-related attachment play for a six-year-old and her mum, both of us light sleepers who take a long time to fall asleep. So beautiful, you know, what we've been saying already. If 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 we're tired and connected and taking a long time to fall asleep means there's some feelings, there's some things that need to be released. Attachment play is so helpful. Um, touch and play also really helps with connection as well like you were sharing about you hanging out with your kids like mm-hmm. there's something particular about touch and play that really supports um, us to feel really connected in our bodies so just really basic things I find really helpful like pillow fights on, on the bed where we're knocking each other over but we do big exaggerated ones and we fall over and like no how did you do how can you do that um Sock fights can be really helpful where you try and take each other's socks off and again you kind of let them do it and then you know pat we can bring in power reversal games, just really simple basic ones. Often like a lot of rough and tumbly type things are really helpful. I remember I used to do things with my son where I'd like you know we'd roll over each other. And when I'd roll over him, of course I'd you know I'd put carry my own weight on my elbows, but you know, we just roll to one side of the bed and then we'd roll back to the other and roll back again. Just all of that really simple basic play um and particularly if they're loving it and they're laughing more of that yeah that that reminds me i used to wrap my kids up like burritos oh. they used to love it if they would wrap be wrapped up in the blankets and just roll them over and over and over they used to love that they used to shriek with it <laughs> yeah there's so many i mean i think that we always say this follow the laughter you know, see what your child invites you to play. That can be really beautiful. And and doing that attachment play as an adult, even when we can feel tired at the end of the day, if we can laugh and have a good time, that is going to help us as well. Mm-hmm. It's actually not just for your child's benefit, it's for, for yours as well. So, it, yeah, it can be tricky sometimes to even get ourselves there to go, okay, this is what we need to do. But you actually can feel amazing once you've done it. It's a bit like exercising, really. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to do it. And then you do it and go, oh, that was incredible. Yeah. So okay. This is similar things, isn't it? It's getting all those endorphins going yeah. and the oxytocin yep. and so much yep. gumminess happening. That's it. So that's it. Okay. This is a, a question that I think many people would love to know, which is about bubbers. Your thoughts on breastfeeding babies to sleep? So I think we go back to what we always say, which is like really listening into each each person and what is what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And so I, we would never say do it or don't do it. But really, I think it comes back to really understanding, like I was saying, trying to explain my little diagram, which is not very easy to is when we are tired, whether we're a baby or a child or an adult it's normal and natural for our body for our psyche for our nervous system to want to express feelings tension in the body stress hormones that would otherwise prevent us from having a sound sleep you know in terms of all the repair that's happening whilst we're sleeping 
for us to actually be relaxed whilst we're sleeping supports that. So it's like the it's like the easiest time generally. It's the it's working with our systems or our baby system to listen to feelings before they go to sleep. Also, and when they wake up, they're often the two key times because when they're tired, they're less able to suppress feelings. So it's just knowing that if we do breastfeed our babies to sleep, it is going to be likely that perhaps they, you know, they wake up more because those feelings are, you know, showing up. So again, it's like really listening in. What do you want to do? How do you want it to go? Do you want to listen? If you're able to listen to their feelings, do you want to listen? Do you want to breastfeed them a little bit earlier? And then often we need to wait a little while because those beautiful hormones in the milk and sucking also acts as a, as a suppression of feelings. So often straight after breastfeeding babies aren't often able to access their feelings as much so you can wait half an hour and then maybe hold them in your arms and say I'm here and I'm listening and I'd love to hear you know your feelings of the day but there's no you know there's no have to or should it's just understanding that it's kind of working with them um, and it's often the easiest time to listen in terms of those feelings are most readily accessible so mm, I love that and yeah. I, I would say too I used to do it the opposite way which is I used to listen to my baby's feelings first and then they'd have a really big cry and then often I would offer them the breast and they would feed and fall asleep then but they that I knew that that had that really expressed their feelings and and then and it'd come out and then we'd often feed and then they would fall asleep and that felt pretty delicious. And I think it is, it's really about what feels right for you. So we please hear us when we say this, you know, if you love breastfeeding and you want to keep breastfeeding and you do it when they fall asleep and you do it through the night and it feels okay, please keep doing that. This is the, you know, we are such supporters of that and we're such supporters of you doing what feels good. It is often just though if parents come to us who say my baby's waking like seven times a night and, you know, that 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 is, I guess, what we see with this work is being able to help our um, bubbers release their feelings. Often they will sleep longer, they sleep more, it's easier to get to sleep, all those kind of things. But please do what feels right for you. It's super, super important, isn't it? Yeah. And, and look, when you've got a newborn, you know, it's it may be just feeding, feeding, feeding for the first little bit because, that's you know you're building your milk supply and you're getting to know your bubba and that can feel good and when it feels right you might want to start listening to their feelings it's it really is about what feels a yes for you and what feels good in your being yeah yeah okay um my youngest son three years goes to bed very easily he puts his thumb in his mouth and he's out sometimes he asks us to stay until he's asleep that's only five ten minutes max however i'm not sure so sure the thumb sucking is all that healthy Again, it's just understanding that the thumb sucking is a way that he's suppressing his feelings. And again, like if, if it's all, you know, if you don't have capacity to do anything else right now, then I would be going with that. And you may want to play, you can do amazing attachment play with thumb sucking. You might have capacity to do that in the evening instead when he's going to sleep. You might want to do it in the daytime when he's sucking, sucking his thumb, sucking his thumb. <laughs> Um, it, it is suppressing feelings and so some really great attachment play games around thumb sucking like um, I've shared in other podcasts before like you can also suck your thumb as well and or you can ask them to suck if you can suck their thumb and you can say you know what flavor is it is it strawberry ice cream and you put it in their thumb in your mouth or pretend to and then you go oh no yuck that's like you know poo or peas or or um bogeys or something silly and funny and they laugh and laugh and again and again and again and often that will 
support the feelings coming out through laughter and there'll be some crying there as well but you know again it's really there's no have to but if you do want to support the feelings there are yeah you can move in with some attachment play I would always say attachment play before loving limits and I would always say we would both always say from an aware parenting perspective to never take a thumb out of a, a baby or a child's mouth but you can certainly support them to release the feelings underlying that Mm, yeah beautiful uh this is another question i have lots of parents with fears this is from a, a practitioner i think i've lots of parents with fears over crying if it has anything to do with sleep some information on addressing that would be useful i feel and this is this is a great point isn't it Marion? because um you know we're parenting we do not advocate crying it out and leaving a child to alone to cry ever ever no matter how old they are you know when we talk about crying we're talking about crying and loving arms or with our presence and us being there being really attentive attuned listening um you know it's not about leaving a baby alone to cry what would you like to speak to this marion just lots of empathy and compassion and yeah because people um you know so wanting reassurance that it's a completely different thing it's a completely mm. different thing so something completely different is happening when we if we leave a baby alone to cry or uh, even if that's you know for short periods of time whatever it is compared to when we are holding them in our loving arms or with we're, we're right there lying with them if they're a bit older um and to really explain the difference between those and actually that um, you know, it's normal and natural for all babies and children to have painful feelings, however much we do everything we can to meet their needs. You know, all the, all the usual things, they're releasing stress from the day and also trauma. Mm. Um, and I think most of all, you know, what I've seen so many times over the years, and I'm sure you have too, is that if we do not listen to any feelings of a baby or child and we... Um, we make sure they don't cry whatever we do and like at night time in the evening we do everything we can to distract them from their feelings is what we generally find is then they start waking up more and more and more often they will often wake up many 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 times through the night and um and again just observing all the things that we can observe that they often don't look so relaxed in their bodies and you know, just observation I think and mm. also like you know this is definitely not for everyone it's if it doesn't resonate and it's just like a big no then it's a big no Mm, yeah totally I I really support that or it might feel really tricky to do it when your child's a baby and listening to feelings is hard but when they're a toddler it feels easier and that might be the time you want to listen then so I think it really is about tuning into what feels okay for you as a parent for sure um, I like this question next to short and sharp one. How can I assist my son to not hate going to sleep? Oh, bless. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I read that and just go, oh, I think there's probably some feelings there. If, you know, if he's, he's presenting like he's hating going to sleep, then I would say that there's probably some feelings he's trying to move and it's coming out as anger or frustrations and, you know, that could be around the separating piece and, and going back to everything that we've talked about, you know, today already is, that closeness and connection you know is he tired and then really listening to those feelings again to move it and and maybe what is you know I would lean into for this parent is what comes up for you when you're watching this play out if you're seeing him hating going to sleep or you're seeing a lot of these feelings where does it sit for you in your body and what's happening for you when that's going on so beautiful and yeah really back to the they're not fighting sleep we're often mm. fighting so where where might we be actually getting in the way of those beautiful natural release and relaxation processes mm. 
Yeah. Okay, this one's a bit about resettling. I'd love to know how to tackle a resettle day and night once they have a release and then fall asleep. If they wake up after one sleep cycle crying, do we just hold them until hoping they fall back asleep? I usually would feed back to sleep or dummy and rock back to sleep, but then I struggle with short day time naps. So basically um, if if a baby's or a child is waking up, well, more a baby after one sleep cycle, it usually means that they've got feelings because basically... Again, it's that beautiful natural desire to feel relaxed or they'll come up into a lighter sleep. Feelings are still there bubbling up. Their natural mechanism wants to release that so they will wake up to express those feelings. And so often if we're keeping on trying to, to suppress the feelings, it does often mean that it's just you know one sleep cycle um, waking. Um, so basically the more we can listen to feelings before sleep the more they're going to be able to the more relaxed they feel in their bodies so when they come into lighter sleep they're still going to feel relaxed again and they can just move back into deeper sleep again it's basically Mm. again just doing as much as we can to listen Mm. to their lovely feelings if we can and if we're not able to that's okay sleep (laughs) and I think that's also important to remember the age of your baby you know if you have a three-month-old that's waking after four or three or four hours they're probably hungry and they need to eat because that's really age appropriate that we would still feed them during the night so I think it is really um it's it's good to tune into the age of your baby what their needs are how that looks you know this is not a one size fits all I think it's really important to lean into what's working in your family you know what you're feeling your what your intuition is telling you your baby's needing um I think that's it's really important again to trust yourself I mean there was another question here that um I have parents concerned that feeding to sleep and night feeding are biologically normal and they feel they shouldn't stop that how would aware parenting address this well I always love to to say in terms of this is um to experiment like not do anything different in terms of what how you respond in the nighttime but how about if you do do the things that we're talking about and respond to them so either um uh i'm imagining this might be more for babies like if you are willing to try out some listening to crying arms before sleep then do you notice that they actually start sleeping for longer that's what generally happens they start they're more relaxed in their bodies and they sleep for longer periods so we're kind of doing the experiment ourselves to see "Mm, okay that um you know when we're just seeing is that actually true uh do you know what i mean does that make sense Mm. yeah I, i think that's really important to to again look for the evidence and see what feels good I think it is we are naturally hardwired to be close to each other and breastfeeding is amazing and our milk has this incredible um, quality at night you know that that does um, create sleepiness and tiredness and all of that is beautiful and I'm not saying at all that we shouldn't do that it might be where we we watch and observe like if, if you are feeding, if your baby's relaxed or your little one's relaxed and they feed and they you feed them to sleep and they sleep for a good chunk of time and then wake up and feed again and it's easy and it flows, then I'd say beautiful, do that. But if your baby's waking every 50 minutes or, you know, every hour and a half and then really unsettled or not feeding well and not going back to sleep, that's when you might want to lean into a bit more, okay, should I listen to some feelings perhaps? And you might start during the day because it can be really hard to listen to feelings at night. It was never really fun in the middle of the night if my babies had feelings. So I'd really try to listen to them during the day and also before they would go to sleep. Uh, and and I think it's, it's a really good point. What happens if you do listen to their feelings? Do they sleep a bit longer? Are you seeing them feel more relaxed? I think it's really important to tune into what feels right for you. And I guess 
you know, raising my first two kids without aware parenting and being into attachment parenting, I really did all those things. I wore them on my body, which is amazing. And I breastfed and I slept and I did all that stuff. I did all the things that I thought was right. And yet my kids were, were pretty um, agitated and weren't calm and didn't sleep well. And I felt deeply resentful most of the time because I wasn't getting any of my needs met. It was all about, I just give, give, give to them, give whenever they want, whenever they want. And and really, I don't, don't feel we had the balance, which is A, of me making sure I was taking care of my needs and B, I wasn't listening to any of their feelings. So they were uptight and you could I could see it in their bodies and they didn't sleep well and they found it hard to go to sleep and all those kind of things. So by the time I had my third and I learned more about this, doing it a different way, I began to see, whoa, there was a huge shift here. And then I did start to implement it with my kids who were older at that time in their own ways. And again, I saw a complete shift and change in their beings and their bodies. And so I think it's so important again to come back to what works for your family, what feels right, what feels good, experiment a little bit, watch and observe, look for the evidence tune into does this feel okay for you and and it may be you just want to do a little bit of this and then a bit of that like you know please hear us when we say there's no right way to do this it is all so unique and um i think that that closeness and breastfeeding and connection sleep is also beautiful and so fundamental of of having that beautiful attachment with our children hmm. anything else to add marion <laughs> yeah yeah. Okay. So there was another question like that, but we'll move on to another one. Um, so oh, similar ones here, just um, when my bubble wakes during the night, I feed her. If she doesn't go to sleep, my husband will walk around with her until she falls asleep. Some nights she doesn't want him. As soon as she's on me, she goes to sleep. I don't do it all the time and she's too heavy for me to walk around with long periods. Also, sometimes she may f- um, fell sound asleep, but as soon as you sit on a rocking chair, she starts crying. As soon as you stand up, she goes back to sleep. So generally, those are the kinds of things that we see. If you it goes back to what you were saying, Lal, if you're if you're trying to make them feel calm, if we're mm. if we're working against them and mm-hmm. their natural processes, that we're going to have that kind of quality of like, what you know, whatever can I do to you know help them go to sleep? And then mm-hmm. basically, as we were saying before, they either come into a lighter sleep or we're not doing the thing that's distracting them from their feelings, and they're going to wake up because they're trying to express those feelings. So again, it's just observing and noticing, you know, do you want to keep doing it like this? Are there, do you want to just, to me, what I love about um, aware parenting and sleep and crying in arms with babies is it's just like, you know, making sure the needs are met, making sure they've been fed recently, and then just sitting calmly, lovingly, without jiggling and rocking and bouncing and all that, you know, which is, it, it costs a lot for us to be doing that, just calmly, relaxing, I'm right here, I'm listening. It's actually more like a really being with them and a trusting them and um you know not doing stuff to them but holding this beautiful loving space to i'm you know i'm here i'm listening i trust that if you've got feelings to tell me at the end of the day about your big day as a, as a babe it's a huge thing all the new things that you're going through and i'm here to listen mm. uh, and it's a, a really different thing from doing a lot of stuff which where we're really not trusting them and we're really working against that Mm. I love that so much. I, I, that this is my takeaway. Like I'm listening to us 
go, yes, when we're trying to force the calm down, we need to stop. Um, okay, this is another beautiful question. I can absolutely relate to this one. I'm interested in the aware parenting take on night weaning toddlers. And I think this comes back a bit to what we were talking about before around the co-sleeping about being clear. So when it comes to night weaning from breastfeeding, um, uh, I think one of the most important things is to be really clear with our little ones that this is what we're going to do and make sure that it's a, you know, you're very clear within yourself. For me, how I did it was making sure I tell my kids, I talk about it for a week or so beforehand. Soon we're going to stop having, we used to call it booby at night. Um, we will have it when we go to bed and then we'll have it when we wake up in the morning, but in the night we're not having booby anymore. And you can tell me how you feel about it. And sometimes they'd be like, no, booby all night. And I'd be like, I know you'd like it, but we're not going to have it. It's just holding that beautiful limit again and listening to their feelings. They're allowed to feel annoyed that, you know, that you're not doing it anymore. And so it was just um, being very clear in my being. It was communicating that with them, no matter how old they were. It was um, when they did wake up in the night and saying, no, we're not going to have that now. It was listening to their feelings. And really it only took one or two nights of, I know you want some, sweetie, but we're not going to, you know, you could have a little drink of water if you want to. And, you know, it was one or two nights of some feelings and then it just, then that's how it was. You know, I find that children are actually very adaptable when we are really clear about what we're wanting and what that's going to look like. So it was, it was just, it was setting that loving limit holding it within myself knowing that you know yes I could be woken up a few times in the night and that might have to listen to feelings holding space for their feelings and then and then they um it, it became actually a pretty easy thing to do anything else you would add to that no <laughs> no that's it <laughs> loved it all right that's my dog <laughs> he, he, he agrees with everything you said <laughs> He's got some feelings. We, should we listen to your feelings? <laughs> well, at least we haven't got the birds today, so we need some animal noises in there. <laughs> yeah, all right. I apologise if anyone's been listening to this on headphones and all of a sudden their <laughs> headphones just blew up because my dog started barking. <laughs> my apologies. All right. I think that my, I mean, we've looked, we had many, many questions. So we've tried to just pick similar themes. If we haven't read your question word for word, we're trying to just go with the themes because there was a lot of questions there. Is there any other questions there? I do. Marianne, I would actually like to, to say something to? about the early morning waking is that basically mm -hmm. there's often a pattern. If you're, baby or child actually is waking up like a certain gap of time in the night and then the gap gets smaller and smaller and smaller as the as the hours move on that's really often a really clear sign that they're not hungry they've got feelings and again do whatever you want with that information listen to more feelings or listen to feelings at night but it's a really common pattern um and early waking is just generally a sign of of feelings when we wake up desperate mm. to express them mm. okay. can we also just do that last one which is about um things adults being sleep deprived because i just really wanted sure. to offer a lot of empathy and yes. compassion it's yes. a really really painful thing if we are not getting enough sleep and because yeah. of the same thing for us is it's when we're tired we are also not able to suppress feelings so it's going to mean it's going to be much harder to be parenting when all our feelings are bubbling up as well so just i mm. wanted to offer lots of empathy and compassion yes. if you are experiencing that and yes um, yeah yeah, that question was how to cope with listening to toddlers' feelings when sleep deprived from a baby. And that's that's really big. And 
yeah, I, I too have a lot of empathy and, and, and hope that there is support you can call on or lean into or get your needs met by being listened to or having someone come and be with your baby while you have a rest or it's really tricky. It's really tricky. And again, comes back to that community thing, doesn't it, of us raising our little ones without the tribe, which is very, very hard. So, yeah, a lot of compassion to those mamas out there who are, are juggling and navigating that. It does get easier. I just want to say that, but it is really hard when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that is probably, we've talked for a long time about sleep. So I hope it has touched any places that you need when it comes to sleep and, and in your family or for you. I love to always come back to this too when we're looking at whether it's our school kids or our toddlers or our teenagers because teenagers and sleep, we didn't get any questions on that, but that's a whole other genre as well, um, that it's really good to remember what you need as an adult to help you fall asleep, what feels good for you, you know, that's what you might want to think about or look through that lens when it comes to, you know, your babies or toddlers or little ones as well. All right, so Marion, anything to offer as we finish off? Uh, just lots of love and compassion around this. Um, like, you know, there's a lot to explore from our own perspective, so you might even want to be reflecting on, you know, what happened for you as a baby or as a child, you know, where you slept, what happened to you if you were upset before going to bed, you know, what happened to you if you were crying, uh, laughing and wanting to be playful. And there's a lot of inner work for most of us to do around sleep because, mm. you know, most of us did experience, um, you know, being put in a cot alone or being ignored at night. And so it's really normal and natural to have, you know, a lot of big feelings showing up around this, mm. which we didn't even, you know, this, this is a whole, it's a masterclass, basically all the information around sleep. So yeah, lots of, lots of love and compassion to you as mm. you've been listening. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just, I think, you know, my offering around that is really how can we be more gentle or what do we want for sleep for us, for our children? How can we make it a beautiful, wonderful thing, not something that, you know, is we're dreading at the end of the day or, you know, that our children, you know, don't want to do? Well, how can we make it something beautiful and, and um yeah, just sacred because sleeping is amazing. You know, the older you get, the more you want to sleep. You're like, this is the best. But also, you know, I think it is, it's important to think about what's the energy we're bringing to it as, as the adult. You know, what can we do to make it feel safe? What can we do to, um, yeah, to bring some of those elements that we've talked in today? What can we do to bring that to our children? Mm. And I think I'd just like to add one last thing is that really the whole um, cultural conception that we have, which is, you know, when you've got young children, you're just not going to get sleep or unless you kind of leave them on their own. And I, really what I love about aware parenting is the third way with sleep. You may want to listen to our first podcast on sleep that, you know, my experience was is my children from a really you know young age, they slept for really long periods. I never had like early morning waking. I was, you know, I just had plenty of sleep and it, makes such a huge difference so just to really know that we can have a different experience and yes it does require a lot to to move in with play and crying but it, it makes everything else easier when everyone's getting enough sleep so mm, that's so true so true all right well that may be uh, i do have a course i had oh, a good. Course oh yes please <laughs> say that 
It's a very long title, Sound Sleep and Secure Attachment with Aware Parenting. It's a, a course, and it's a lot about observing and really, um, you know, really observing your own baby or child and what happens and really working with these natural processes. So that's mm. on my website. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go and check that out if you need support with sleep. Yes. All right. That may be our last podcast for the year or our official podcast like this. Um, So maybe we'll take this opportunity to say a big thank you to everybody who has listened and who has shared our podcast and has sent in questions and sent in beautiful messages of love. We get lots of beautiful messages, don't we, all the time, just sharing how it feels like we're standing in the kitchen having a cup of tea and a chat with you, which is what I love the most. And that's why the dog barks and we can hear the birds in the background. Um, So thank you to everybody for sharing and um, just all the love around this podcast. It's such a joy for us to do this. And, it, and you know, when we first started this, we didn't realise how far it would reach yeah. and how many people all over the world would listen to it and what an impact it's had on helping parents. And that I know, well, I'm speaking for me, but I know it's also for you, Marion. That just makes us so happy that more and more people are getting this information and they're choosing gentle ways to parent and, you know, looking at their stories and, and really leaning into the possibility of having that beautiful, deep, intimate connection with our children. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. So thank you all so much. We've got nearly half a million listens now, mm. which is really wonderful. So um, thank you for supporting us and listening and sharing. You know, we get lots of people sharing on Instagram and so we're so grateful to you. So thank mm. you. Thank you. And we look forward to more, you know, more wonderfulness next year. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we're wishing, yeah. yeah. And our book. And, our, and book. our book's coming. I know we keep talking. We've been talking about this book for ages, but we've had a few hiccups, but it is it is being edited as we speak. So we're really close and that's really exciting because we're taking everything we talk about here on the podcast and we're putting it in a beautiful book and that's going to be amazing. Mm. So thank you, everybody, for being here. You know, thank you for saying yes to, um, you know, to leaning into parenting with compassion and empathy and kindness. Mm. Yeah. beautiful and if you're listening in december 2021 we're sending such love for you over the festive season whatever you choose to celebrate and sending Mm -hmm. loving intentions for community and joy and harmony and love and all the things that are so yummy yes yeah thanks everybody Mm, so much love to you Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.